Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Every single believer has gone through a season in life when God didn't do what we thought he ought to do. When God didn't do what we expected him to do. And when that happens, that usually leaves us with a whole lot of mixed feelings about ourselves and our understanding about God. But more than anything, mixed feelings about God himself. So what do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should do? Well, typically, that happens because God didn't answer our prayers like we thought he should answer our prayers. He didn't answer our prayers when we thought he should answer our prayers or how we thought he should answer our prayers. And when that happens, it's usually because we had some presuppositions about God. And when you think about that, it's not hard, you know, the, the first few letters there of pre just means in advance or beforehand. And then suppose is the assumptions that we make without all the facts. And that always works well for us, right? Yeah, not much. But well, congratulations, you're here for the first day of a, a new series this summer. And it's just that sometimes God seems different. There are assumptions we make about God. Sometimes we wonder if he even cares. Sometimes it feels like he's fighting against us instead of fighting for us, and he's uncooperative. Sometimes it's just that he's never on time. He's always late. Where are you, God, is what we end up screaming at the windshield or into our pillow at night. And then there are other things. Because of all of that rolled together, it just seems like, God's not fair, that we deserve better than this, almost, and you hate to say it out loud, and we may not ever say it out loud, but we certainly feel it inwardly when our heart screams, God, you owe me better. I don't ask you to do this very often, but here's an audience participation time. If you've ever felt that God was indifferent, uncooperative, late, or unfair, would you mind raising your hand? Look around at the hands. You're not alone. You're not the only one who's ever felt this way. And sometimes that's the impression we're left with, is that I'm the only one that God's ever treated this way. I'm the only one who's so messed up in my understanding about God that I just don't get anything about Him. But where'd that come from? Well, sometimes, honestly, it comes from preachers. Sometimes that idea comes from worship songs that we sing or t-shirts that we see somebody else wearing or wish we'd bought or sometimes it's a meme that comes across in a text message that makes faith sound easy. Things like, well, you just got to give it to God. No, I just need to punch you in the throat. <laughs> well, it takes, you just got to have faith over fear. Let go and let God. You let go. And maybe I'll let go of the headlock I've got you in. And of course, there's the ever popular Jesus. Take the wheel. And what you really feel like saying is you need to step in a hole in the ground and disappear. 
Because you look at their life and you look at their supposed crises that they're going through and how great it seems like their life is, and you just conclude they wouldn't recognize a real crisis of faith if it smacked them upside the head, and I'd like to volunteer. Why doesn't God ever do something like that for me? Well, I was looking for a parking spot, and I just prayed about it, and what do you know? You know, a car pulled out right in front of me. I almost hit him, but I got a parking spot. Well, you know, we just, we didn't know if we were going to be able to pay that bill or not. And, and we went to the mailbox and there was a check in the mail from a refund that we'd forgotten all about overpaying. And you're thinking, well, good for you. I'm so happy for you. But, I mean, let's be honest. Living by faith can be tough, can it? I hope you know that people of faith in the Bible wrestled with some of the same feelings and the same frustrations that I've just talked about, that we've all lifted our hands about. I mean, they felt like God was indifferent. They felt like God wasn't cooperating with them. They felt like God hadn't shown up. I mean, for goodness sake, they were slavery. They were in slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And they had been praying for generations for God to rescue them. Where was God when they needed him? If you're in that season where God's not doing what you think he should do, don't walk away from him. Hang in there. Because in today's hashtag of why God, I want to look at how to hang on to your faith when you just don't know for sure if faith is worth hanging on to. Because when God seems indifferent, it doesn't mean that he's inactive or absent. And the way I want to explain that to you and show, share with you this morning is from a guy that Jesus called one of the greatest men that ever lived. Well, that's a heck of a thing to have on your tombstone. Jesus said, I was pretty awesome. <laughs> he wouldn't even have to put that on my tombstone if he just say that when I got to heaven. But that'd be idolatry, and I probably wouldn't be there then. So, you know, it's all about him, not me. But yet, we want it to be all about us. Jesus talked about a guy named John the Baptist that way, though. I want to share some things with you. He was a courageous man of God, but he went through his own season of doubts. He was an amazing man of God, but John the Baptist had his own season where life just wasn't working out and God wasn't doing what he thought he should do, and he had lots of questions for God, and he wanted answers. Listen to how Jesus described him in Matthew 11, verse 11. I tell you the truth, John the Baptist is greater than any other person ever born. That's pretty heady stuff. And yet, despite being honored like this by Jesus, there came a time in John's life when he wrestled with his own doubts. Now, God had called John to serve him by preparing people for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, who happened to be his own cousin. 
He did that by challenging people to take a hard look at their life and review what they'd made of their life and how their life was going. And if they found sin and rebellion in their life in view of God's judgment, they needed to acknowledge that and their need of forgiveness and be baptized by him in preparation for what God was about to do through Jesus. And when Jesus was ready to begin the next chapter of his life, he goes to where John is baptizing and talking about pre being prepared for what God is about to do when the Messiah comes. And he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John initially acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah, but he can't fathom why in the world that he would need to be baptized by him. Initially, he refuses, and he, he just thinks it would be an insult or at least a mixed message about who Jesus really was. There's a few verses in Matthew 3 that talk about what happened right there. In verse 15, Jesus said, no, it has to be. For we must carry out all that God requires. There's the mentality of the Messiah. We must carry out all that God requires. And so John agrees to baptize him. In verse 16, it says, after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens opened up and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. In verse 17 then, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and I am very pleased with him. Well, after hearing and seeing this firsthand, is there any doubt in John's mind about Jesus and what God's doing in his life? I mean, he is crystal clear, so much so that later on in John 1, this is the scenario as it plays out. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one that I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me that's far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And then in verse 32 and following, John, John says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven in the form of a dove and rest on him. Until then, I, I did not know who the Christ was. But God, who sent me to baptize with water, said, you'll see the Spirit come down and rest on a man. He is the one. He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen this happen. And I can tell you the truth. This man is the Son of God. Doesn't sound like he's got any reservations or doubt, does it? Whatever uncertainty there was in John's mind before, they have been completely removed, right? But then, John experiences what a lot of us have experienced. Oh, maybe not specifically, but at least in principle. Real life that rattles real faith. You know, it's Graduate Sunday and appreciation and honor, and we're so grateful for what God has given us in you already. But it's bittersweet because we know that real life lies in front of you. We know there's going to be curveballs. We know that there's going to be, we know that, that the ground's just going to drop out from underneath you at times. 
we know you're going to be hit with things that you never saw coming. But we're okay with that. Not because we're sadistic. <laughs> but because we're certain of our Savior. And that He's worth the faith that we put in Him. Here's what happened in John's life. I know it's going to surprise you that a politician messed up John. But that's what happened. Actually, not really a politician, his wife. But that's another story. King Agrippa, or excuse me, King Herod, also known as Agrippa, goes to visit his brother. His brother's name's Philip. Philip's married. He's got a wife named Herodias. And, they've, and she's got a daughter, and the daughter's name's Salome. Salome, however you want to pronounce it. While King Herod is there visiting his brother, things get a little too friendly and a little too handsy, and he falls for his sister-in-law. They run off together. Talk about a family reunion. It's going to be awkward next time. They run off together. They get married. And, oh, by the way, let's put this little bow on top of the package. She's his niece. She's not just his sister-in-law, she's his niece as well. They run off and they get married. Meanwhile, John's preaching about getting right with God by repenting of your sin. Gee, I wonder what current event people might have been talking about. And that's how John decides to illustrate with real-life examples about what everybody else is already talking about. How Herod had an affair with his sister-in-law, and now they're married and trying to act like tra-la-la, everything's yippy-skippy, and no problem here. That didn't go over real well. Mark 6, verse 17 through 20, phrases it like this. Herod was the one who ordered the arrest of John. Yeah, Herod, the guy that ran off with his sister-in-law, who's also his niece. Well, he must have really been upset about that, right? He ordered the arrest of John, put him in chains, sent him to prison. I love this. It's in the message. I know it's a paraphrase, but it's just life, right? Why did he do it? Because his new sugar mama, Herodias, said, you got to shut that man up. At the nagging of his wife, Herodias who used to be his brother, Philip's wife. Yeah, that's her. Smoldering with hatred. By the way, this morning during Bible class, we, we talked about what envy and jealousy will do to you, the kind of effect and impact that'll have on us. It's one of the parables, the parable of the, of the wineskins. During this summer, we'll be talking about some of the different parables during that nine o'clock Bible, Bible class hour. Love to have you be a part of that with us. Envy, jealousy, letting other people get under your skin and not being able to let go of it. That, my friends, was what life was like in the palace between the new Mrs. Herod, Herodias. Smoldering with hatred, she wanted to kill him, but didn't dare because Herod was infatuated with John. Now, in light of how much that Jesus admired John, 
You would think that one of the verses in the Bible would say that immediately when Jesus heard about this, he went to rescue his relative, John the Baptist. But that's not how it happened. And that's why sometimes we're left with a feeling that God just is indifferent to what's happening in our life. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says that when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, what do you think it would say? He rounded up the apostles and they went on. No, that's not there. It says he went back to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum. Not just to go stay in, but to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake. Now, let me give you a quick geography lesson. There's not going to be any quiz afterwards, but this will just help you visualize why this would have been so confusing. The first map you're going to see is a map basically of Israel. You've got the Jordan River right there in the middle. The small blue area up on top is the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus went to. The bottom blue blob is the Dead Sea. Right up above that is the Jordan River, that long blue line, right? Well, that's where John was teaching and preaching about getting right with God and taking a good hard look at your life and whether or not you're where you need to be with God. And if you're not, then you need to repent and you need to be baptized to show God you know you need to be forgiven. When Herodias gets in her husband's ear and whispers, whatever she's going to whisper in his ear to make him do what she wants him to do, he has John arrested. And he's taken to a place called Machaerus and put him in prison. You're looking at the area that's known as Machaerus right now. It's on the northeast corner of the Dead Sea. Now, you would have thought that Jesus would leave Nazareth and head down to Machaerus to come to John's rescue. But instead of coming to John's rescue, Jesus goes the exact opposite direction to the Sea of Galilee. Someplace it's probably going to look like this. <laughs> would you mind, Sandy, going back to the Machaerus thing? Yeah. As where John is, look at where Jesus is. John, Jesus. The heck are you thinking? You see, when you look at a split screen like this, <laughs> you've got Machaerus and you've got this cabana resort on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has gone to live. And it starts to kind of feel like that's where God is with us sometimes. While we're in a desert wasteland, God's gone off sipping some little umbrella drink at a cabana by the lake. No wonder. No wonder we're confused about what God's doing. Because when things happen like this, and it feels like this is me, this is God. Our faith gets rattled when God seems distant. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, here's what happens next. John the Baptist is in prison, but he heard about what the Christ was doing. 
Now, what he'd been doing in, in Matthew 8 was he healed a leper. A centurion's paralyzed son was healed. And even Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Now, here's John the Baptist, meantime. He's in a prison in Macarius, eating, spitting dust. And you got a leper that everybody knew was a leper because he'd done something against God, and that's why God was punishing him. You got a paralyzed son of a centurion soldier. He doesn't have anything to do with God or God's people. And then you've got a mother-in-law. And here I am sitting in a dust bowl called Macaris. And then it's, it doesn't stop there because he, he's here, he hears that Jesus had calmed the storm in the middle of the night. He'd cast out demons. In Matthew chapter 9, a paralytic gets up and does a little jig, starts to walk. A little dead girl is brought back to life, and the blind people can actually see again when they've been blind from birth. And this is what John's listening to while he's fighting off spiders and sand vipers in a place called Macaris. No wonder it's tough. It's tough to remember your faith when you feel like God's sipping on an umbrella drink in a cabana somewhere. While everywhere else, this is what God's doing for everybody else. I want you to understand that because it makes it a little bit easier to understand what happens next in Matthew 11, verse 3. So John sends some of his followers to Jesus. That's another way of saying, I got questions and I need answers. So they ask him, and here are the questions that John had. Are you the one who's to come, or should we wait for someone else? Now, it's not been that long ago, either in the sermon or in the, John's life, where you heard John say, this is the one. And now, he wants to know, are you the one? You see, clearly John's questioning everything he knows about Jesus at this point. He's gone from, here he is, this is the one, ta-da, to one year later, are you really the one or not? What a difference a year makes, right? Especially when it comes to faith. What a difference a year makes between confidence, I know who God is and I know what God wants And, and 52 weeks later, I don't know what God's doing. I don't know where God's at. I got more questions than answers. And we've all been there. Because when your circumstances about God don't line up with your assumptions about God, it shouldn't surprise anybody that it creates doubts about God. So Jesus sends a response back to John that is just totally and completely mind-boggling to me. You would assume that Jesus would send back a simple message that says, yep, I'm him. I mean, may say something different in the Hebrew, but my guess is that's probably what I would have expected him to say. Instead, in Matthew 11, verse 4, he says, you go tell John what you've heard and seen. What kind of a cryptic answer is that? 
Well, maybe, maybe this is a more comforting response that we all need. Remind him of what he already knows to be true, for sure. Verse 5. The blind can see. Uh, blind people are usually pretty hopeless and helpless. But no more. The cripple can walk. Those people that depend on others, yeah, no more. People with leprosy who feel like they're under a death sentence with no hope, they're healed. The deaf can hear, the dead are brought back to life, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And that's what Jesus wants them to remind John that he knows for sure. Because Jesus knows that we can't let our circumstances make us forget what we already know to be true. So let me ask you this morning, are there circumstances in your life that have so rattled your faith that you've forgotten what at one point you knew to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt. John gets it. And right before they leave, Jesus gives them one more thing to tell John. Verse 6, whoever doesn't lose his faith in me is indeed blessed. Now Jesus acknowledges the reality that some are going to be disillusioned and lose their faith in him. Why? Because he didn't do what they thought he ought to do. When they thought he ought to do it. And how they thought he ought to do it. You see, Jesus wanted John and us to learn this truth. God's faithfulness cannot be measured by our circumstances. Whatever they are. I mean, intellectually, we understand that to be true, but man, it doesn't feel like much consolation at times because we get sick and tired of having to deal with our circumstances that make us sick and tired. We just want God to show up and make it go away, which is really kind of ironic that we're so excited about God showing up because there are plenty of other times when we really have been okay with God's absence. For some of us, it's when we've been on a business trip and we were perfectly okay with God not being there. For others, it might have been the night we went out drinking specifically so that we could get drunk and forget what the week had been like. For others, maybe it was when you ripped somebody a new one just because they had it coming and you turned the air blue. And you knew you were going to. Or maybe it was when you met up one more time. Because you were convinced that nobody would ever find out. Even God. Those aren't the times when we're tuning on, turning on our worship music. On the way to that place. We're not singing along with Chris Tomlin while we're driving to meet them. 
And we're certainly not sharing the latest aha scripture from that day's devotional reading. You see, we can tune God out in the blink of an eye and we're perfectly okay if God doesn't show up when we don't want him there. But when we think he should show up and he doesn't, funny thing happens. All of a sudden we're convinced that God's a fraud and faith is a fantasy, so we're done and gone. That's what makes John's story one of the more amazing stories in the Bible because it is the cold, hard, raw truth about how somebody who has a great faith in God really feels when things really go sideways. Oh, by the way, do you remember what John did wrong? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. As a matter of fact, John did everything right. John said everything right. John spoke with boldness and a spine, and he said and did what nobody else was willing to do. He stood for God and got busted because of it. Thanks, God. Jesus described John as one of the greatest men ever born, and yet he still had his moments of doubt. And if you know how the rest of the story goes, it doesn't have a Tom Cruise, Top Gun, happy ending to it. Herodias, the bitter, nagging new bride of Herod, there's no other way to say it. She pimps out her own daughter, Salome, just so that she can get John's, or so that she can get John's head on a platter. What kind of sick woman is this? And in the middle of all of that, Jesus gives John the same encouragement that he would give me today. And the same encouragement that I'm reminding you of today. In the middle of the doubts that you may have because God didn't show up. Instead, he was sipping on an umbrella drink by the lake somewhere. Matthew 11, verse 6, starts out with this message. Blessed is anyone. When life rattles your faith, anyone, not just John, anyone is going to need the reassurance that their life still has the blessing of God. Blessed is anyone who does not give up their faith. Nobody's taken it from you. You voluntarily surrender it. Why? Because even the greatest among us, like John, have our seasons of doubt when we question God's presence and blessing in our life. Blessed is anyone who does not give up their faith, and here's maybe one of the more amazing parts of that verse, because of me. Here's the stipulation. Don't stop believing in him because you're disappointed with him. Right? John, excuse me, Jesus promises that we will be blessed if we don't measure God's faithfulness by our circumstances. We will be blessed if we don't 
become obsessed with gas prices and empty shelves and inflation and immigration and political corruption and our culture's loss of a moral compass, we'll still be blessed, Jesus says. Even if our circumstances don't match the assumptions we have about God. John wasn't the last victim of some immoral, ungodly, mean-spirited, manipulative, vindictive piece of work. And neither will you be. Jesus promises that we'll still be blessed if we don't walk away from faith just because we don't feel God's presence when life rocks our world. And he promises we will be blessed even in spite of the feeling and the doubt that God just really doesn't care and is completely indifferent to our needs. Just because we don't see him at work, just because we don't feel him at work, I think, David, we just sung about that, sang about that. Just because we don't recognize the hand of God in my life or in your life the way that we want it, with the outcome that we're wanting and hoping and desperate for, we will still be blessed. Because God is not indifferent. David, I want you to bring the praise team back up. We'll close out here with this. Jesus wanted to let John know that he believed in him. That's why it says in verse 7 of Matthew 11, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowd. I kind of get the idea that Jesus amped up the volume a little bit just to make sure that John's disciples heard him say to the crowd, what kind of man did you go into the desert to see, to see? speaking of John the Baptist? Tall grass blown about by the wind? You see, Jesus wants John to know that he knows that John has and John will stand strong. Even when God seems a hundred miles away, sipping on an umbrella drink, it doesn't mean that he's left you behind. When God seems indifferent, even if I don't feel his presence, when God seems indifferent, he's still faithful, even if I don't see him working. God is still faithful regardless of what my circumstances are, because that does not determine God's blessing in our life. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.